Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of The Brown Bag. I'm your host, Michael T. Brown. Hey, follow us on Twitter, at MTBrown98, or connect with us on Facebook.com slash TheBrownBag1. You can catch our broadcast on demand after taping or get a free download on iTunes. Have you missed any of our previous broadcasts? No worries. Go to blogtalkradio.com, search The Brown Bag, and listen at your leisure. You know, friends, I've heard it said that one of two things happen when men come together, something really good or something really bad. Well, we've come together to center our thoughts and discussion around manhood. That's right, an up-close-and-personal discussion about those issues that ail us, and we want to look at some strategies for improvement. But before we approach our critical topic today, Michael Fordham, why don't you give us an update about social digital media? I know we have new listeners who might not know quite, a, quite much about it. Why don't you tell them a little bit about it and some of the momentum that's building? Well, Mike, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. There is a lot of momentum building, but it's a new concept I think that is greatly needed in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. Um, we're trying to build a, a not-for-profit studio for people who are just like yourself, um, who are independent broadcasters, a place where they can have a studio to um, receive the type of help that they need in producing the content that they produce for the Internet. So we are connecting with a lot of people who are joining in for fundraising efforts as well as folks who are just looking to help out in whatever way they can. And, you know, look forward to an event that we'll be doing very soon, an event um, just to do a fundraiser as well as a a larger gala later on uh, towards the summer. And we're just looking to hopefully educate people about the concept of what's available to them and get them involved to help out. And you can find out more information about that at socialdigitalmedia.org. That's awesome, Mike. It's new, it's exciting, it's innovative, and it's empowering our community, and we look forward for much more to come through social digital media. Speaking of exciting, we've got an awesome guest on today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce him for us? Stefan Bell is a minister of the gospel who centers his personal ministry on glorifying God by pouring into and protecting the family unit, specifically marriages and the personal growth and development of men. Stefan has accumulated nearly 30 years of ministerial service and leadership experience. From serving as a youth minister leader at the historic Trinity Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, Stefan now serves as a minister at Destiny Metropolitan Worship Church in Atlanta, Georgia, where Brian E. Crute serves as a senior pastor. Professionally, Stefan is a partner in the Washington, D.C.-based federal government relations firm Bell Haru, LLC where he spent the last 24 years in the government affairs industry serving as a congressional staffer early in his career, to now working professionally as a lobbyist for the past 19 years. Minister Stefan is a founding member of the District of Columbia chapter of 100 Black Men, 
the national co-chair for the DAD Detection and Diagnosis Campaign for the National Prostate Cancer Coalition. He is also the past president of the Washington Government Relations Group, the organization representing Capitol Hill's African-American lobbyist. Stephon Bell, welcome to the Brown Bag. Thanks, Mike. How are you this morning? I'm great, man. We are so excited to have you on today. We have much to discuss around this topic of manhood. But before we get into that, help our audience get to know you a little bit better. Tell us about yourself, your background, your upbringing. Well, I was I was raised in Birmingham, Alabama, so that means you know I have a good root system, uh, that southern root system that you know way too well. And uh, I've spent, I spent since 1990 about 24 years in government relations, but my passion, my true passion, Mike, is to minister, and that is Mm. to actually pour into the lives of others where they can actually see their purpose come to fruition. And so I've been doing that lately as a minister at Destiny Metropolitan Worship Church in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where Brian E. Crude is the pastor, and uh, I am the leader for the uh, men's ministry. But, of course, my wife and I also participate uh, as uh, co-leaders in the marriage ministry, and we are also what we call marriage coaches. We don't like to say counselors because then it gets serious. Mm. Yeah, and I have to, you know, disclose how I met you, and and it was involved in men's ministry. I remember um, joining uh, the church that I belong to now in Arlington, um, having the opportunity to see how you led and brought men together. Uh, And I remember the whole theme was, you know, keeping it real. And it was right at a time where um, I was looking to be a part of of a men's ministry and to grow and to develop, and you were certainly a big part of that. Now let's talk a little bit about men's ministry and the state of manhood as you see it. Now I know you've worked in men's ministry leadership for quite a while. Um, From your perspective, how would you assess the state of manhood, um, and what are some of the most pervasive issues that we face? Well, you know, when I think of manhood, you know, I, I thought it would be a great idea to share with the audience how, you know, the dictionary defines the word manhood. And I think we can go from there and kind of understand, matched against the definition, how we are faring and how we're grading ourselves as men in the community. And the definition I have here, it says here, composite of qualities such as courage, determination, and vigor, often thought to be appropriate to a man. And when you think about that type of definition, you pull out words like courage and determination and vigor. I think Mm -hmm. if if you look at the community in its entirety, I think men don't have a chance to really study this definition and live it out. And so from my perspective, we've got work to do, but I think it starts with understanding our role in the community, Mike. Yeah, that's good. And and one topic that I want to go ahead and broach is um, fatherlessness. And I was recently reading an article that was in the Washington Times. It's actually um, was written back in 2012, and it was pointing out how now that one third of American children now live in homes without fathers. Um, let's go there. Let's. What are some some things that you're seeing around this issue? Um, of the need of fathers and, and some of the work that you're doing around that? Well, I spend a lot of time, uh, Mike, in the, in the penal system and the prison system as well as local jails here ministering to men. In fact, on tomorrow I'll be headed down with a group of men to uh, Borough State Prison here in um, uh, Georgia, down in Forsyth, Georgia, and we're going to be ministering to men down there. And when you talk about statistics, Mike, it, it's amazing to note as I talk to men one-on-one, I feel like it's almost 100% of the time I talk to people in the prison system, they were missing their father. Uh, even yeah. in my church alone, we had a, a discussion in June around Father's Day with uh, our men's ministry. Our church is about 4,000 members, and I think at this meeting we had about 200-plus guys there. And Pastor Crude asked the guys to raise your hand if you grew up in a home without a father, and it was about 70% of the room raised their hand at my church here in Atlanta, Georgia. And so if you look at those numbers and the guys I talked to in the prison system, statistically, uh, you'll find that 85% of men in prison were raised in fatherless homes. If you look at other statistics, for example, you look at even things like youth suicide, 
63% of those kids uh, come from homes without fathers. 90% of homeless or run, runaway children grew up in phone, homes without fathers. Uh, statistics such as you know, high school dropout rates, 71% of those who don't complete high school grew up in, in households without a father. And you talk about education, Mike, I was surprised to find out that homes where they, it, low-income homes, where there's a father and a mother, those kids stand a better chance of completing college than a child who is in a single-family household in a high-income home. So so it's not about money. It's about stability. And so as we continue to have this conversation, and we're going to also look at it from a biblical perspective, men need to understand when the Bible talks about dominion and the Bible talks about us being what we call a Godhead, it's important for us to know what our role is. Yeah, and and that's important that you point that out, Stefan. And I've also been in the jails. And one thing that I I try to encourage men, and let me start by saying this, you know, big shout out to the single parents. Those who are doing it, you know, without fanfare, oftentimes without much applause, many times they have to work with what they have. And that is not to say that, you know, children cannot go on and be successful. We know there are plenty of examples. Case in point, the President of the United States. So we, we know, big shout out to those who are holding it down. But when I, one thing I notice when I go into, to jail, into jails and when I get the opportunity to just speak with men in general, um, I try to encourage them, if you have a child out there, yeah. no matter how much time has passed, no matter how much distance there might be, start taking steps and strides towards them, towards, re, towards reuniting with those children. I tell men in jail, find those children, reach out to them. Let them know you exist. Um, and, I, and I often ask them, you know, what will you want to be able to say kept you away from them? Yeah. You know, maybe when they reach adulthood and they can now look at you eyeball to eyeball, what answer do you want to give them to say, this is the reason why I couldn't reach out to you? You know, was yeah. it, well, some, some, some guys might say, well, you know, it was your mom that was in the way. Okay, are you going to let that stand in the way? Talk a little bit about the need for men to go out and reach out and find these children no matter where they are. That's a great point, Mike, and I absolutely agree. You know, and again, statistically, when you, when you discuss men who are not in the home with their children, on average, Mike, this is average, the father who's no longer in the household sees his children one month out of a year. And so if you do it mathematically, you're talking about about 30 days out of 365 days, which is about 10% of the year on average. Now, of mm-hmm. course, there are the guys who never see their kids, and there may be some guys who are above that percentage point, but 10% of the year, fathers see their kids. Now, it's, it's, it's one thing to talk about separation from your kids, but it, it mm-hmm. also goes to us who are still at home. You'll find that the average father spends 10 minutes a day with his children. Wow. And so what I want to really continue to focus on is the fact that we have a role, and if we're in the household or not in the household, We've got to understand what happens when we're actively involved with our kids. That is good. Now let's talk about some of the some of the things maybe that men mask because I, I believe there might be a, um, some men out there that are listening to you, Stefan, and they they're getting motivated and they they see the need, but there may be something blocking them personally. Maybe they're struggling. Um, what I like to say, you know, behind the mask. You know, we all oftentimes get up and put our game face on, and, and rightly so. You know, we all have to put our game face on to be able to deal with things and not just be, you know, walking around just emotional all the time. But what would you say to that, to that man that um, he hears you, he yeah. sees the need, he wants to reconnect, he wants to get right spiritually, he wants to get his finances in order, but he might be suffering in silence. What would you say to that man today? Well, honestly, you know, it, the first step in the process is looking, taking a look at yourself in the mirror. And, you know, one thing I would just pose a question to the audience, which I'm not sure how many are listening in, but for me, if someone came to me and said, Minister Stefan, we need you to put together a space rocket that's prepared to go into outer space and orbit the planet Earth for the next, you know, two years, we need you to take care of that and take care of that responsibility and get it done. Personally, I'll be first of all, in fear because I know I can't do it, and I know I would not be able to be successful without the help of someone teaching me how to do it. So the, the reason for that example is that when we're talking about all the, the level of 
of fatherlessness in, our, in the community, we've got to understand that a lot of individuals have never seen an example. They've never seen an example or been taught anything about being a father. So let's go back to the first example. If I am asked to go build a rocket, I have no clue. So what am I going to do? I'm going to avoid that responsibility because I don't know how to do it. Or if I get in there, I'm going to become frustrated trying to create something I've never seen created before. So the first step in the process, Mike, is to look at your own history and look Mm -hmm. at your – all right, if I didn't have a father figure, how am I going to break the cycle of fatherlessness in my household? How am I going to create relationships with fathers who have experience? to help me through this process because you cannot not build a rocket ship because we do have to shoot for the stars with our kids. And so it is very important for us to understand, especially with fatherlessness, how do I break the cycle to where the legacy that's going to be created by me looks different than the one that was created before me. That makes sense. That's good. And and I get the opportunity to talk to children, and it's amazing to see the resilience and the forgiving nature oftentimes of many children. You know, I've heard children, I've had, you know, adult friends of mine that have said, you know, I was, I didn't have maybe the greatest relationship with their dad younger or he wasn't around much. But now, you know, I, 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 we reconnected. So, and I, and I think those, those type of examples are important because it shows the need to start somewhere. And I tell people all the time, if you have a living father, okay, no matter what issues he have, and I understand, you know, um, oftentimes there's some, some deep hurt there that yeah. needs to be addressed. So I don't overlook that. But at the same time, um, that need and let's look from, at it from a biblical perspective. And I think oftentimes forgiveness is important. Uh, and I know that's a show all by itself. You know, Absolutely. about forgiveness. But Absolutely. to say, because many men will say, you know, how can I have, how can I understand an earthly father when I don't understand the relationship between a, a heavenly father? Talk a little bit about that the need for men to, to, to get connected spiritually in order to deal not just with the father issue but other issues in our lives. You know, I'm, 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 I'm happy, Mike, that you brought the true, um, the true root system into this conversation. You know, I, I tell folks, um, the Clark sisters had a, a song. They said, I like living this type of life. That's yeah. my moniker for life, Mike, and that is I love being a Christian father because I see the fruit that it bears when I'm able to pour from the true handbook of fatherhood into my kids. For example, Mm -hmm. my daughter this morning at 4.30 this morning, I was taking her to the airport. She's headed out on a missions trip. She's a 16-year-old female in this society, and she's headed on a missions trip to Guatemala as we speak. And, you know, something hopefully that was said or done while she was in her formative years led her to say as a 16-year-old teenager, again, in this culture, that mm-hmm. I want to go and spread the word of, of Christ in a foreign country where it's needed. And so mm-hmm. what is our role? I always look at my favorite biblical character, and I, I model my life after him, Mike, and that is Abraham. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think many people understand that without Abraham, there would be no Islam. If, if not for Abraham, there would be no Christianity. And, and so he's the father of all religions because of one thing. He was obedient to his father God. And mm-hmm. that is when God said, be obedient to me with whatever you do, I will give you riches. And so in my life, and I see the riches that he's talking about. He's talking about not financial wealth, but for me to look at my kids and, and see what my generation, my great-grandkids will feel what I'm doing today because I'm obedient to God. God's mm. word to me that I have dominion as a man over the earth. It starts in the book of Genesis, and it teaches you in the, you in the book, first book of Genesis that man was given the responsibility to take care of the earth. So what happens when we're not there to take care of our responsibility? You have uh, teenage pregnancy. You have con- confusion in sexuality. You have high crime rates. You have low education, uh, uh, low education within the community because we're not holding our dominion over the community. And then also, in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians and the book of 1 Corinthians, it talks about the structure of the family. And again, we're talking about the perfect handbook for life, Mike, and that is God's Mm -hmm. Word. And that is, in the 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians, in the 5th chapter, 
it talks about man being the head. He answers to Jesus Christ, and he's the head. And then the family, first the wife, and then the family falls under him. So in order for the family structure to be successful, that father has to be connected to Christ. Now, I know some will debate, well, there are great families out there who don't have a Christian relationship. The father doesn't have a Christian relationship. I go back to the song. I like living this type of life because I'm guaranteed success when I put my faith in Christ. That's powerful. And and some somebody might be saying, well, you know, I don't have much to give. And I, I encourage men, you know, give that which you do have. Uh, let's face it, many of us are busy. I yeah. know you have times where you have to travel and you can't be there. But I tell you, uh, maybe you can find time to just get on the horn and encourage your child or tell them to have a great day. Or that 10 minutes that you have, man, that 10 minutes can be powerful if yeah. we're intentional about it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about leadership. Um, leadership guru John Maxwell, he defines leadership at its core as influence. And I personally believe, you know, that the need for effective leadership can never be overestimated. And, Stefan, when I talk about leadership, I come, I would say, more from the perspective of servant leadership. You know, not always the one that's out front, you know, uh, barking orders, you know, or, but, but <laughs> those that are willing to roll up their sleeves and, and, and serve and bring out the value of others. And I know you've served in various leadership capacities. Talk a little bit about um, some of your leadership principles that guide you, even in some of your, in some of your professional work. I'll talk about a couple of things, Mike. One is my pastor, Brian E. Crute, at Destiny Metropolitan Worship Church in Atlanta, he continuously uh, teaches his flock about the importance of affecting the seven spheres, uh, seven spheres of influence. And, and those seven spheres include entertainment, includes the re- religion, politics, family, and, and, the, and, and other key areas in our community where we are called upon, not as titled leaders, but as leaders in that sphere, Christian leaders, to make a change. So let me give you an example. I'll, I'll talk about that seven spheres first, and then I'll move on to kind of directly answer your question. With the seven spheres, let's just pretend you're, you're working in government. I'll use that as an example because that's where I am. And you go into your office. People in that office should know when you walk in, number one, that's a Christian. Number two, his lifestyle shows it. Number three, you should strive to be an example to people of what Christ would want us to, to, how he would want us to walk on earth today. For example, if there's mess in the office, you're not a part of it. You're part of the cleaning up of the mess. Wow. If there's sin in your office, you're the one people go to to say, you know, Mike, we need your help on this because you're the leader here, by, not by title but because of who God gave you, what, how, the authority God placed in you. And so when it comes to leadership for me, it is understanding your role. It is empowering you to participate in that role and moving forward with it. And, and so if you look at a situation, and, you, and I'm a leader and I have leaders with, who work with me, they've got to know you have the power to do absolutely anything I do. I'm just the one with the title, but we're all leaders. So you're leaders in your household. You're leaders in your workplace. You're leaders taking your kid to the, to the playground. You're a leader when you're in, at the movie theater and someone skips in line and you show the heart of Christ instead of what the world, how the world will respond. And so Man, leadership by title and non-title is very important in understanding. No, that's powerful. And, Stefan, I want you to talk about um, how men define success. <laughs> uh, and I, I believe that. Uh, a good, healthy dose of ambition is good, you know, it's yeah. beneficial, it, it's positive. But talk a little bit about how you view uh, success, how we should define it. What are some key principles, some things that we should think about? Well, um, I'll tell you a couple of things. One is how we define success in society now, it's, it's warped. Um, and I'll be honest in what I, from what I understand. Uh, being in a capitalistic society, first, of for, first and foremost, your measure of manhood oftentimes is defined by what you have. That is financially, that is in material goods, it is across the board confusion. Um, when it comes to defining what a man is in some communities, it is how tough you are. 
I mean, can you are you willing to hurt another man to prove your manhood? In many communities, being a man means how many kids can you father or how many women can you have in your stable. For me personally, I went to a funeral this weekend of a good friend, uh, Louis DuPont, who suffered an aneurysm at the age of 50 and, and died this uh, last week. He left behind three kids, uh, three beautiful kids. And mm. as I was at the funeral, I sat there and I said to myself, just like I did when my mom passed back in 19, I'm sorry, in 2006, I wanted my funeral for people to say I did well. And so my measure of manhood for Stefan Bell is for people, when I'm, when I'm gone and I can't speak for myself, that the story will be written that he left a footprint. He left a huge footprint, a footprint that will, for generations, generations from now will be affected by the fact that I walked the earth. And so that's manhood. That's good. Let me, let me go at my last breath, Mike, and you guys are standing over me, and I take that last breath. I want to be able to say I did it. That's my measure of manhood. Now, I'm not talking about financially. I'm not talking about babies or fights or anything silly like that or so small in nature. I want my great-grandkids to hear stories about me that I believe, first of all, that God is the one and true, the first and foremost in my life and that my, my, way, of, the, my way of life was to pour into others and, and help them bear their fruit and understand their purpose. Man, that's good. And I want to bring Michael Fordham in on this because I look at some of the work he's doing, you know, talk about people that are leaving an imprint, you know, bringing an impact. And he's certainly doing it through media. And, I, Mike, I know you've been listening in. Uh, questions, comments, thoughts about uh, our, our discussion about manhood and, and leaving an imprint? Yeah, you know, it's really something because, you know, you definitely ring the bell. Um, it, it is media's impression of manhood is often, you know, negative when it comes from what we see in films, television, music, and our news. It's everywhere. And, and you talked about the true source of your legacy. That's what your manhood should be about. It should be about the lives you impact and who remembers you for what, you know? And, and that's your calling card right there. And um, as you said, the Bible is the best guide for what you should be. And, and I think that should let every man know that you can begin today and have something to share, you know, just turning towards the word, you know, will give you everything you need to begin that new life, that new way of doing what you've been doing. So uh, it's just amazing. I think you just hit the nail on the head right there. Well, you know, yeah, what, I'll be honest with you, Mike. Um, the Bible can be intimidating. Uh, if, if you're sitting, you're listening now and you're saying, I hear the Bible, I hear the Bible. You got all these books, you got this, Habakkuk and Genesis and Micah and all this. I don't know what to start. I don't know what to do. I hear all of that. Um, there are so many resources out there to start from, from square one. Uh, one of my, fi my favorites is uh, openbible.com is a great resource. Uh, um, it, I love it because you can type in, you know, uh, uh, what does the Bible say about being a man? And you can mm. pop up on that list, and you can look at Scripture to get you started. Another one is, of course, Bible Gateway. You go to Bible Gateway, and you can reach there. It breaks it down for you. You know, start simple for you. I would hate for the intimidation to last to the point where you never get a chance to do it. And so, you know, there are resources out there. I would look for those. But when you talk about, you know, living the Scripture, you know, I talked to uh, your pastor, Mike uh, Leonard Smith, and we had a conversation several years ago when I was in leadership at his church with the men's ministry at, there at uh, Mount Zion. And he said, who can argue against the good book? And he says, it's good in, to in totality to where you can go in there and find an answer to all problems. And it's going to direct you in a good, and I quote, direction. It's not going to tell you to do anything evil. It's not going to be destructive. Mm. It's yeah. going to lead you into a place that shows you how to be a father. It's going to teach you in the book of Ephesians in the fifth chapter how to, be, how to love your wife like Christ loves the church. It's going to teach you in 1 Corinthians as a single guy in the, in, the second, in the seventh chapter. It's going to teach you why as a single person God wants you to be that way so you can devote all your time to sharpening your tools to represent him. 
And so if you read that, it teaches you all that. It's going to teach you about dominion in the book of Genesis. It's going to teach you about Abraham in the book of Genesis. It's going to talk about how to represent God as a true warrior through the life of Joshua and the life of Caleb. And you get all the resources you need in one place, and it's always good. And, you know, Mike, I mean, uh, Stefan, it's important that you, you point that out about, you know, the Bible. Let's talk about it just from a practical standpoint. You know, there are strategies and tools there that can help you, you know, whether it's creating a business, dealing with life in general, personal problems, family issues. So a person might say, you know, that's not my, even my particular faith, but the principles that are there can, can help a person from, a, from, a, from even just a practical standpoint. <laughs> that's a good point. I, I always say an atheist can learn how to do things right, right through the Bible. <laughs> and <Yeah>. so <laughs> absolutely right because, again, like Pastor Smith said, it's, a, it's the good book. And the old folks used to refer to it as that, and now I get it because yeah. it teaches you so many ways to do things practically. Everything, mm-hmm. again, from raising kids to starting a business to building a home with a found, the foundational structure of a household, meaning bricks and mortar or that of the, the, the nuclear family structure. It teaches you all of that. And so yeah. go look at, for example, you look in the, in the book of James, if you want to, in the first chapter, you want to understand if you're going through something and it's, going, it's really hard, the book of James, when it tells you to be excited in your tribulation, that if you're not, your bill's not being met and those kind of things and you're, you're, you're going through something really tough, it tells you you should be excited at that time because the breakthrough comes in the end. So just imagine a person who's a Christian, Mike, who has that type of scripture hidden in his heart and something in life becomes a challenge, and he lives in faith and says, I know I'm going to get through this, and in the end, it's going to be, I'm going to learn from this what I'm going through, so I'll be better to even for myself as well as to teach others how to get through things, as opposed to the person who goes through without that scripture and has no faith, no type of light at the end of the tunnel, per se, when they're going through a serious situation. I prefer to and that's good. That's, no, and that's that's powerful, and uh, no wonder it's the the world's all-time bestseller. You know, <laughs> absolutely. And when you think about uh, the thing I love about it is that you know it doesn't spare us the gory details. You know, we no. see men and women that are flawed. We see people that make horrible mistakes, and God can still find value in them. And I want to allow you to just speak maybe to that person that is out there that maybe have made those mistakes and they're in that place right now where they say, you know, I hear what you're saying about all this spiritual stuff, but, you know, I'm, I'm too far from God. He, you know, I've messed up too bad. What would you say to that person, um, and, and maybe even men in particular, who have turned to other ways of self-medicating, whether it's alcoholism, sexual, um, you know, excursions, whatever it is that oftentimes, and let's face it, that we all may struggle with, you know, or want to turn to. What would you say to that person who, who might be in that position today? Mike, you know, from my heart, you know, as Minister Stefan, Minister Stefan was not always Minister Stefan. Minister Stefan had a full opportunity to participate in the way the world does things. And mm-hmm. at some point in life, in, in my particular situation, it was 1990, in a small apartment in, in uh, Arlington, Virginia, where I had nothing to my name but a cot, uh, that small apartment, and my mom had given me a Bible. And because I had no television, no radio, and back then there was no such thing as a PlayStation or Xbox, um, I had to go to the one piece of solace I could find right there with me, and that was the Bible my mom gave me. And I started reading the book of Romans, and at that moment Christ came into my heart. Um, Again, this was 24 years ago. Uh, when I first moved to D.C. And my lifestyle was, it was worldly. I mean, when I say worldly, I don't use religious terms, but I lived to satisfy my flesh. I wanted to do everything mm. to make me happy. And mm. in that day, in, that, in the book of Romans, God showed me that, look, it's not about you. It's actually about me. I need you to live a life that glorifies me. And so wow. what it looked like in reality on that day, in, in January 2000, I'm sorry, 1999, is a transformation that started that day. 
It didn't happen like a snap of a finger where Stefan Bell was all, all of a sudden from a guy who lives to satisfy his flesh to all of a sudden he's all religion. That was not the case. It right. took a process. But the first step in the process was commitment. I said to myself, I'm done. Mike, I am done with the wow. t- the womanizing. I'm done with the alcohol abuse. I'm done with all that stuff. It's time for me. I, that was the first half or the first quarter of life. The next three quarters of life will be creating my legacy. I didn't have any kids then. I didn't have a wife. It was preparation for me to do those things. So the first step in the process is understanding I want to commit. That's number one. Number two is erasing your slate. That is what you discussed earlier, forgiving yourself. I've got to forgive myself for all this mess and then go to, to God and say, God, erase my slate. I want to start over new with you. I want to draw a line right here. I'm going to build a wall, a 100-foot wall between where I'm going and where I've been. And from that point forward, you start saying, I'm not doing the things that hold me back from creating that legacy. What does that include? If, you, if you've been absent from your, from your kids, you commit to moving towards them. You forgive yourself for your absenteeism. You ask for forgiveness for being, for, for being absentee, an absentee father. Then you move forward. You press forward with all you have to pour into your great-great-grandkids what they need to hear from their great-great-grandfather. And so that's the first step in the process is commitment, saying I'm going to do this as a man. And we go back to our definition. We're talking about someone who is, it has vigor and excitement and energy and moving towards that direction. And so you, go, you use commitment, you forgive, you move on, and become the new you. But you never go back behind that wall again. That's dead. Mm. That's good. What would you say to that person who needs a mentor? Talk about the importance of finding a mentor, and maybe you can even give a shout-out to some people that um, helped you along the way or that are still helping you. <laughs> well, I, I will do that, and I, would, I love having this forum and having the opportunity to thank those who have, have poured into me way too many to name um, so many people. But um, I will say, the, first of all, to answer your question, in the book, in the book of Acts, uh, where the first church is discussed. People always ask me, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Absolutely not. Uh, but in the book of Acts, it teaches us that we should be in a, in a gathering of like-minded individuals. And so mm-hmm. that means if you're choosing to cross the wall that we just talked about, that 100-foot wall, and commit to moving forward, you need to be in an environment with people who are trying to do the same thing. So what does that mean? You may have to prune some of your existing relationships out, which means some of your old friends who used to do the dirt with you, if they can't go with you, you need to leave them where they are. But then you, you go into a relationship with like-minded individuals, which means to me that's why you go to church, to praise God, to learn from the teacher, and to be in an environment with like-minded individuals who can help you through the process. And I'll be honest. Until I, would, I joined Mount Zion Baptist Church as a, an adult and had people around me who were like-minded and growing to be their best using the good book, uh, I didn't have a clue. I was, I was doing it my way. And hmm. so the many mentors I had, I will start off with Leonard N. Smith, um, <laughs> whose powerful word and teachings started me with a hunger to lead in, in this yeah. sphere of influence meaning in religion. Um, my, I left Virginia in 2005 to move to Atlanta, and I ran into what I know, who I know is an anointed man of God, and that's Brian E. Crute, who teaches, he, he's like a, he's going to probably get me if he ever listens to this, he's like a, a Christian drill instructor. He does, wow. he, with you individually, and, and even though he's speaking to 4,000 people, his individual approach, every message is about your purpose, you getting better, you getting your core stronger and when you're working out through your, 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 your spiritual growth. It's all about you. Yeah. So I'll say Leonard Smith. But the number one man who poured into this guy is my father, I.C. Bell, Jr. Now, I'm not going to crown this co- in this crowd conversation, but just to know, 
sacrifice that I see Bell Jr. had for me and my brother uh, Tony in Birmingham, Alabama, it's it's he. My dad worked two jobs and would come home and teach my brother and another friend how to do the three man weave in basketball, which led to me learning the game. My dad would make us wake up early Sunday morning and hold hands on our knees at the, at the bed praying. He gave me the foundation to be minister step wow. on. My dad was the guy who would. I remember you, know, you told me one time he was the guy who uh, he, he'd slap you upside your head if you needed it to. <laughs> well, yes, dad. Be that. This is this is the story, Michael. We're gonna have a little fun here, and he's gonna get me. <laughs> I remember one story you told me. It was just funny. I had to bring that up. Well, my dad taught us how to be. And, like, again, the importance of father being there, two jobs but still being there. When we would go out as a family, if we didn't – if we went through a door before my mom, yes, that's the one. he <laughs> would – what we call it in the country, he slapped the nap of your neck. <laughs> <laughs> and he would let it sound off through all the malls <laughs> that, pow, you – I know you didn't. And so now – as I go out with my wife and I teach my daughter and my son, my son opens doors for his mom. I don't slap the nap of his neck, but <laughs> he knows I'll pull him back and tell him to grab that door. And so he right. does the same thing. Again, we're talking generational legacy. My daughter has been taught as a 16-year-old, if any young man wants to take you out, if he doesn't open the door, you just stand there until he figures it out. And that, wow. that's how they're being reared through that. Now, my dad was also a disciplinarian. And the, the time he got my got like like you say get your butt he got my butt for going to Kmart Mike and wanting one of those ices I used to like the cherry icy and every time we went to Kmart it was icy time my brother and I and we went to Kmart this this Saturday afternoon he was in a hurry we went in there and we're like Dad can we have an ice and he said no so we actually pouted around Kmart didn't say a word no mumbling no <laughs> I wish he would die type stuff we just pouted. And when he got home, we got the worst moment of intense fellowship that we ever had <laughs> with our father in, in my whole life. And I remember then what he taught me was to appreciate what you have, to be respect wow. those who, who, like for him, would do anything for us. So, I.C. Bell, Jr., you are my greatest mentor. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. Stefan, what would you say about marriage enrichment maybe there might be a man or a woman out there that um are not finding their purpose in marriage what would you say to help them the good book mike it, it's a perfect manual for marriage and there's two scriptures that stand out to me and i would ask your listeners to circle them highlight them underline them put them in bold italicize it whatever you need to do to look at these two scriptures one is in the book of malachi it's in the second chapter and if you want to look at it closely, you look through the 13th through the 16th verse, and it talks about God's wanting marriage to, to create a godly legacy. And so when we talk about legacy, we've already discussed it as a, in a family perspective, handing it down to your kids, teaching your kids. But to me, my wife and I have a marriage that creates a legacy outside of our household to where other couples can look at us and say, I want that. I want what they have. Let's talk to them even to figure out how they're doing it. So we're able to pour our marriage and our fruit into other marriages, not just our kids. If everyone around us can, can glean from what we do in marriage, so that's Malachi. But also in the, in the book of Ephesians, it talks about in order for a – this is so important. In order for a marriage to be successful, each individual must be submitted to Christ first. And so what does that mean? Everything you do in marriage, you're looking up saying, God, did I do good? Am I pleasing you? Am I doing what I need to do to satisfy you? Are you happy with me as a husband? Are you happy with me as a wife? And so what, is, what happens in, in normal circumstances or worldly circumstances, the husband's asking, how can I please my wife? And the mm -hmm. wife is, how can I please my husband? Which creates a state we call happy, or in some cases, a state that's called in love. The thing that's coming about in love and, and being happy is they're temporary, and they're all controlled by someone else. And so mm. if husband is not able to deliver happiness, you fall out of love with him. Or if wife is not able to fulfill all your needs, you fall out of love with her. But if you have a union 
that says, I am here to please God by doing my 110% best to please this wife or husband of mine, what happens? Everybody's happy. And so that's the way we look at marriage, my wife and I. We've been married for 22 years in June. We've gone through some tough times before what we call it BC marriage, before Christ came into both of us in our marriage. My yeah. wife keeps me so happy because she's always, she studies scripture so much about marriage. She studies scripture about just life in general. Her heart is pure towards God. And so she treats me that way. I don't get the horror stories of a wife who, who doesn't know how to talk to me. I don't get that. And she doesn't get a husband who comes home who's domineering and looking down on her. Because right. my job is to look at God and say, all right, if my wife has five love languages and her love language is time, God, I want to please you by making sure I spend time with her. Because mm-hmm. that makes sense. If my wife knows that I need, I need to be affirmed, my love language, love, words of affirmation or touch, amen, my wife knows to please God. She, she has to fulfill those things. So look at my marriage. 22 years, we're marriage coaches, we're, we're really in love, and we actually hold hands in public. And I'm, and I'm glad you are transparent enough to talk about, you know, some of those scars because oftentimes, you know, we, we look at people and we see their stars, but many times people need to identify and recognize to be able to say, hey, you know, I've struggled in this particular area. You know, things haven't always been, you know, all gravy. And, and, right. I, and there's a common theme that I hear you talking about, Stefan, today that, that is standing out to me, and that is the word discipline is jumping out. Sure. You know, and that is, and the reason why I say that is because many of the things that you talked about are very aspirational and inspirational, you know, goal-oriented, things that we should shoot for. But all throughout, I've heard you talk about practical steps of what it takes to get there. And I'm glad you talked about that in marriage because I'm a firm believer. When you make a vow, that is sacred between you and God. Now, a marriage vow, of course, you know, brings together that, that other person. But I like the way you talked about, you know, really, you promised God to honor yeah. that other person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and we what, talk what about you, in marriage yeah. the difference between a covenant and a contract. In the, in the flesh, your, your marriage certificate is a contract, and you can easily break that. But in the spiritual realm, you create a covenant which is unbreakable with God. Now, just because you walk away from your marriage doesn't mean the covenant still doesn't stand. And so you, you created a, a covenant or a promise between you and God that says, I will do this. Now, you walk away from your marriage, you still owe God your promise. And that is in the spiritual realm. But we make a mistake of doing here on earth, especially in the West, Western culture, which is something I'd love to get on in just a second. But in the Western culture, it's all about us. And so when, mm. you look, when, you, when, we, when we look at... Uh, the covenant relationship you have with God as a Christian, you should walk that out. Now, let's just pretend you look at the workplace. That means that in the workplace, when you go to work, how often can you just walk in your office, go to your desk, tell your boss, hey, boss, I'm not going to do anything today. I'm just going to sit here. In <laughs> fact, in just a minute, I'm going to leave the office and I'm not coming back. And I'll be back mm, whenever I feel like coming back and doing some work. That doesn't work at where I come from, Mike. And so when right. you create the, the covenant, you, you say to God, God, I'm going to fulfill my covenant by being a husband or a wife. In this particular case, a husband, your job is to make sure that you go to work and do what the job description entails. That means I'm going to love her like Christ loves the church. That means I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be continuous. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to be a hugger. I'm going to be whatever she needs full time, not part time to make right. sure that I fulfill my promise to, to God. And that's what we're going to do. But here in, the, here in the Western culture, things are so different. I was talking to a friend of mine who um, lives in, in Saudi Arabia uh, yesterday, and we had a great conversation about men in particular in their culture. You're raised from a child to understand your role as a man. In fact, the women in the culture know when they marry a, a, a Saudi man, they're getting a man because he's been raised that way. And you look mm. at their culture, the discipline is the word we talked about, and the focus in fulfilling, the, in fulfilling your obligation as a husband 
is is constant. Now look at their culture. If you were able to to research the same statistics we use today, education, uh, high school dropouts, crime rate, and put their statistics against ours, and understand in their culture and in the Jewish culture with bar mitzvahs that when you turn a, a certain age, 12 years old, you are turned over to your father to raise you to be a man. Mm-hmm. Mom does all the suckling and coddling of the small child and nurturing that she does. But when you hit that 12-year-old age in most cultures, except in the West, Western culture, mom steps away and she gives you to your father who's always in the home. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to have relationships outside of the marriage to create fatherless children. He's going to take care of his mm. own. And look at the results. It's results-driven, Mike. And, and for people who don't, who say, well, the Bible, this, the, the Bible, that I have an argument against that. Let's just look at empirical results of what happens when a culture is focused, determined, and committed to protect the family structure. You look at the, Asian, you look at the Asian community, being in Southeast Asia or in, in uh, Middle Asia or in the in Middle East, look at families. Then look at the Western culture, Europe, United States, Australia, the level of divorce, the level of children out of wedlock, the crime rate, the, the big one now, the mental illness that's yeah. going on in Western culture. And you go to Saudi Arabia where you don't have those types of issues. You don't have the level of confused young kids about their sexuality in these other countries because mm-hmm. dad is there to tell a son, you're a man just like me. You're a man just like your father before you, my father before me and his father before him. You're a man. Daughter, I love you, and I'm going to show you love as a man so that when you leave here, you will crave a man's love because that's the way I'm going to teach you. There's no confusion there. And hmm. so it's empirical examples, and I dare or I challenge anyone to show me in those cultures that I'm wrong. The man is very important in those cultures, and cultures, and they know it. Yeah, what, now what about, and I think you, you're, you're helping some people to identify that they maybe want to change the culture in their own life, their own environment, their own circle. Um, now talk a little bit about from a career perspective and the need. And I know you've, you've been in, in, in business and you've been an entrepreneur. Um, you're a lobbyist. Um, talk about a man that – help maybe a man out there that's trying to advance career-wise um, or maybe even start their own business. What would you tell them? Um, to encourage them today? Well, I think it goes back to what we've discussed before, and I'll give you an example and an answer. Uh, The answer is, you know, you've got to understand that you're creating a legacy. In other words, you're working not just for your own material and financial well-being. You're working to actually build something that says, I'm going to leave something behind for those who come after me. And so it's, it's not about how much I can make for myself to spend on the luxury car, the big house. It is how can I pass something down to the next generation because I'm creating a legacy here. Mm. The other thing is in my own personal business, again, I'm talking as a Christian. That's just who I am. I like living this type of life. Mm. As a Christian, when I started my business, I turned it over to Christ. I got on my knees in my office and I prayed and I said, God, I want you to run this business. I want it to be yours. So understanding that I gave the business to the boss, I've got to make sure when I come in his workplace that I'm working towards a goal to make his business profitable so I can pour out to others, employ others. To If someone is in need, I want to be able to be, be in a position to do that. And yeah. so, again, Christian lifestyle is a lifestyle that says I died to myself. I'm selfless. I'm not here to please me. I will, get, I will be the beneficiary of me pleasing others. And so for me, I don't hurt for, you know, anything in that regard because God's blessing me because I'm, I'm so focused on blessing others. Mm. And so that's, that's my lifestyle. And it feels good, Mike. I'm not, I'm not worried about anybody coming up to me and saying they hate me because I, 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 I tried to usurp their authority in the workplace. I'm not worried about anyone saying that I did something, you know, underhanded in the workplace. And I don't have mm-hmm. to worry about being fired because of my attitude. That's not yeah. the problem here. And, so and, that's and let's what face I it, Stefan, you and, and I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, you're talking about principles that 
translate, I think, into any sphere of life. I mean, you're a lobbyist, and when you typically throw the word lobbyist out there, often in our culture, that's not a word that, you know, draws a lot of positive um, vibes. But no, it, what I hear you saying, though, is that you can work um, in a career that is honorable and still have good ethics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I can go to bed at night. And produce can, positive results. I can go to bed at night, Mike, feeling good about myself and that I haven't participated in something in politics that occurs every day. And that is, if you're familiar with the show House of Cards, which I think is a hyperbole for politics, but at the same right. time, folks are always looking for a way to maneuver around, and, 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 and the big one is to really try to um, try to throw people off. And it's yeah. all, you're always up to something and in politics. And I don't like It's always an end game. For me, I don't participate in that. My job yeah. is to make sure that effective policy goes through Congress that helps people and helps even some of our businesses to be uh, put in a position to do well to keep our economy strong. But, Mike, before, before, I know it's getting late, but I want to make sure I touch on something that was – Yeah, I was going to leave that over to you. you only got two and a half minutes, but go. Okay, well, for you and I to be two happily married men, tell the wife I said hello, um, okay. we typically focus a lot on marriage or married men when we talk about being uh, a man. I want to make sure that the single brother uh, out there who's listening understands his value. Uh, as a, t- a leader among men, I always teach my single men the importance of courtship over dating. Dating is what the world gave us. As you go from this person to the next person to the next person, having fun and enjoying yourself. In courtship, after you've gotten to a point in a relationship where you're, you've understand this is a good friend. I really like this, this woman. She's, she's good for me. I always tell guys, when you're looking for a, a, a wife, which all men who are looking for the opposite sex should do, if you're looking for a wife, you've got to find someone who, number one, believes in what you believe in, but most importantly, who's there to make you better. The Bible describes a, a wife as a helpmate. That means uh, she should be there to be so there to support you to be the better husband, the man who's supposed to take charge of the family, the man who has the dominion over, over his, uh, his territory. She should be there to help you with that. So you're looking for a woman like that. Now, that may mean she's not a, she, she may not be the, she may not be Beyonce fine. But she's going to make sure that she's there for you as a helpmate. The Bible also describes uh, her relationship with you as being submitted to you. In Scripture, that means to her job should be to understand you and support you. So as, a, as, as you're choosing a wife, you need to see someone who says, wait, wait a minute, she's interested in my weaknesses and my strengths to where she can fill in where I'm not at my best. That's the woman you're looking for. But when we do courtship at my church, once the guy d- 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 sees a desire to start a real relationship, to move towards marriage, it is a conversation that takes place between he and that female. And that is, we've been spending time together, you know, uh, in the church or in group dating in safe environments, and we now, I make an announcement to you, I would like to pursue a relationship with you, which means a long-term relationship that's targeting marriage. So what happens if we do it biblically like that, Mike? You won't have... <laughs> Baby mamas, because you're not your 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 pursuit of her is impurity. You're not gonna take a piece of her heart away from her by having intimacy with her before marriage. You're just not gonna do it. And if if men thought that way, and mm-hmm. said that my job is to protect you, to protect your heart, to protect your safety, and to make sure I don't go past the line, and I want you as my wife. We would have a, a better community in that regard. Stefan Bell, thank you, sir. You are such a blessing, man. What a powerful hour. Thank you, Mike, for having me and anytime. God bless you, sir. And um, we appreciate everything that you're doing in the community. Transparency, humility, devotion are words that may not rise to the top of the list when it comes to manhood. But I encourage each man to be transparent. Look within. Be humble before, we, before you get humble and devote time to God in word, in service, and family. As always, love God, love people, and live on purpose. Blessed.